God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that we can gather to study, grow, understand, apply your word to our lives. Thank you for this series on the gifts of the spirits, on our activity in the spirit when we gather. I thank you for all we've covered in chapters 12 and 13. And I thank you for all we're set to learn today. I pray God that there is clarity. I pray that the truth of your word shines bright. And I pray that while we may wrestle with certain forms of application, that at least our hearts would be in the right place to respond to your spirits, no matter the situation we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, For anyone who was at the vigil and is here, a special good morning to you. Um, good afternoon, evening, nights to anyone listening to the podcast as well. Hi, Lola. Hi, Onye. Um, I hope everyone had a good week, a good night, um, or a better night's rest than some of us did. <laughs> but um, we're going straight into First Corinthians 14 today. Um, oh, wow. Sorry to hear it was a stressful week. Um, prayer strengthened. Um, and not to spend too much time with introductions because i did a lot of that last week last week we pretty much looked at first corinthians 13 still on paul giving perspectives to shape our approach to the things of the spirit and so we've heard him talk about the desire we've heard him talk about diversity in the body unity and all of that and in chapter 13 the focus was on love and our motive and the summary of the entire chapter 13 is literally verses 1, 2, and 3, which is that if you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, you have no love, you're just a noisemaker. If you have the gifts of prophecy, you understand everything, you have no love, you're nothing. Um, if you're generous, if you, you're killed for the gospel, you have no love, you're nothing. And the key or the um, the major summary of that entire teaching was just that emphasis that love is the motivation the underlying motivation for everything we do as believers i think the action point or what we're stirred up to leave with last week was to examine our motives as believers anything that is not done out of love will not count in the side in the lens of, of of the cross and so um very cool stuff we talked about a lot of things if you if we pretty much covered the entire chapter in one teaching which is rare um, but if you haven't listened to that uh please find time hi christina hi abisola hi amaka good to see you all um so today we're going straight into chapter 14 um and there is a lot we are going to cover in this chapter i'm not um trying to scare anyone there's a lot that we need to cover and that's because um just like we've seen in every other issue paul has laid a lot of perspectives now he's moving into the practical application of what a community bounded by love and yielded to the diversity of the gifts the spirit to the expression of the diversity of the gifts what does that look like in practice what does that look like in practice and so a lot of things in this chapter are practical instructions 
that Paul is going to give the Corinthian church on how to flow and respond to the things of the Spirit. Now, as with every other practical um, section of the epistles, we always run into challenges in application because there are always things like, oh, is it for them? Oh, is it for us? If it's for us, does it apply the same way? What context what does it apply to? And stuff like that. Kind of like the things we discussed with head coverings. Kind of like the things we talked about um, in the Lord's Supper, right? Or in taking um, Christians to court and things like that. They lived in very different times. And if you try to apply without getting the heart of why those instructions were put there in the first place, you're going to many times run into issues. You'll be no better. At least maybe you'll be slightly better because it's a New Testament instruction, but you'll be not so much better than the guy, in the believer who reads from the Old Testament and says, you know what, I would never wear pieces of clothing that have two materials, or I would never boil a goat in its mother's milk <laughs> because the law says so, right? So no, well, not no one, but good bible study interpretation you don't look at deuteronomy exodus leviticus numbers and just say oh the word of god or jesus is the same yesterday today forever the word of god is forever true so therefore what he said to the israelites is what he's saying to me i doubt you can practically live by that instruction first of all i don't think you're even doing sabbath the right way so that already breaks a lot of other things but um Similar rules apply when we read instructions given to an audience that you were not originally a part of. You must always ask yourself, does, how does this apply to me today? How can I read and glean from the wisdom in this text and apply it to my own life today? And so, like I said in the broadcast message when I was um, 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 reminding people for today's meeting, Paul is going to talk extensively about tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, before then going on to say, okay, do this, do this, do this, do that. And we're going to read through the text, but pretty much what we're going to start to explore, starting from today, is we're going to really look at this thing we call the gifts of speaking in tongues. We're going to look at interpretation of tongues. We're going to try to answer many questions that come up around these issues are there two different kinds of tongues some would say oh there's a prayer language kind of tongue that's for you and god there's a corporate tongue that is for the public um are tongues vertical or horizontal what do i mean by that are your tongue um, i said tongues <laughs> are your tongues spoken to god and so the interpretation should be something that oh you're as, as though the person speaking in tongues is talking to god or can they also be addressed to the community where the interpretation pretty much is kind of like prophecy in that it edifies the listener? We're going to talk about should all speak in tongues? Can all speak in tongues? We're going to look at Acts 2, Acts 10. What exactly happened there? Are they tongues? What happened to the people hearing? Is it the same thing that Paul is talking about? We're going to talk about things like, oh, Paul clearly says, that people should not speak in tongues in a public gathering unless someone is there to interpret. Now, some of you listening or many people listening might not be like, oh, but in my church, we all speak in tongues together. Is that wrong? Are we doing the wrong thing? We're going to look at stuff like that. Uh, eventually, we're going to look at um, 
And I'm saying all this so that in case I don't touch anything, you can hold me accountable and say, Daniel, <laughs> what is this thing you have not spoken of? We're going to look at the difference between interpretation and translation. Uh, we're going to look at are people more likely to flow in certain gifts than the others? Different things. We're going to look at the later verses of this chapter where he says that women should be silent in church. And you're like, okay, Paul, don't you know it's 2022? <laughs> How dare you say such a thing? Or what does that mean today? For someone who wants to honor the word, are you like, oh, God, does that mean I can't speak in church? She just ask my husband, but I'm not married, God. What then do I do? <laughs> We're going to look at a few, um, some of those things. And I really hope while um, everything I'll be explaining is to the best of what I understand from the light of scripture. And for some people listening to the podcast, for some people here, you might be like, ah, I don't agree or I want something more than this. I would at least try my best. And I hope if anything, it would give you a foundation to start to think better on these things because one thing i want to start by saying and i think i've talked about it probably somewhere in the last two chapters is when it comes to the things of the spirit don't be that person that runs away from doctrine just because you enjoy the spiritual experiences that's one of the easiest ways to run into error the truth is, it is very irresponsible to think that just because something is of the spirit or something is spiritual in nature, it shouldn't be taught, it shouldn't be regulated, or we can't sit down to learn about it in a proper instructive setting. It's very irresponsible to let's say, ah, it's the spirit of God. Let's it, it's wild, it's like fire. Let him do what he wants to do. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Like we're going to see, just like we read, how does Paul start the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. So he started by saying, I want you to learn. There are things about the Spirit that I want you to learn. He goes on, if you remember when we started, he goes on to say that because of your pagan backgrounds, there are assumptions you might have about spiritual activity that I want to correct because you are in christ and so it's irresponsible to just say oh is it not healing is it not word of knowledge is it not tongues however god wants to show himself let us let him and there is some sincerity to statements like that but if what you mean is that activities and expressions in our gatherings should not be um what's the word evaluated then you are being irresponsible we're going to see in the course of this chapter, Paul would say that when someone even prophesies, he says two or three should, should check that is this, is this the right, is, is this correct? Is this correct? Is this correct? First, first Corinthians 14 verse 29 says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge him. Nobody would say, ah, it's the Holy Spirit. We can't understand. God is mysterious. So let's just let go and let God. And I, like I said, there are, are sincere applications to that statement in which, and I'm going to get that right now, but we should understand that as long as it has to do with God, then there is a theological aspect or a doctrinal aspect to which we must be willing to submit our experiences, submit our, our, our expressions, submit our mindsets 
to what God has to say on those issues. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy is no different. Perhaps you are that person that you've just grown up in a community where they either spoke in tongues a certain way or or operated in these gifts of tongues and interpretation in a certain way and you never really questioned it. You just said, oh, this is how my church does it and so that's how I do it and you've not thought about it. Or perhaps you're on the other spectrum. You were born into a, a Christian community where people don't really speak in tongues. Maybe you know of one or two people that can, but you've never even heard them until you're like, eh, we've gotten fine. I've, I've lived 20-something years without speaking in tongues all this while. Well, I don't think I need to start today. Again, it applies to you. Submit yourself to the truth of God's word. Submit yourself to the truth of God's word. So that's the first thing. Don't think that just because something is off the spirits, that it shouldn't be taught or regulated in a sense. And I just want to emphasize that word regulated because what we're going to see in this chapter, just like every other issue in the book of 1 Corinthians, there were things that were happening that they had issues. Literally, Paul is writing, if Paul touches on an issue, you can, be, you can beat your chest and say, I know for sure that they were having issues in this area in 1 Corinthians, right? And there are many other things he didn't touch. He said, I will talk about it when I come. But for him to spend this amount of time talking on the issue of spiritual gifts and an entire chapter to tongues and interpretation, you can be sure that there was an abuse going on in the church. But pay attention. Nowhere so far, and we're going to read today's chapter, nowhere is Paul's response to abuse or ignorance withdrawal. Or, or putting a ban or saying, oh, no, 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 you know, let's just hold off for a while. No. Nowhere does Paul criticize their zeal. Nowhere does Paul say, uh-uh, you people are too. You are... No, no, no. In fact, he starts by encouraging them to desire everything, not just tongues. He says, that zeal, every single gift, desire it. But what he does is that he gives kind of like a ruler. It's like saying, let's say they tell you to draw a line or draw a circle. You might not be able to, I tell oh my, draw a circle, guys. All right, tear a sheet of paper, draw a circle. But then he gives a compass or he gives a ruler to guide that expression. And what is that compass? What is that ruler? Love. That as you go about desiring the things of the spirit, let love regulate you. And so you see that Paul's response to spirit, the abuse of spiritual gifts was not to run away from it, was not to be scared, was not to ban it in gatherings so that people will not be excessive, like we see sometimes in some local assemblies today. Rather, he simply taught and corrected them. All he did was put in guidelines, love, order. That's all he did. He didn't say stop. He didn't say, oh, if a pastor don't know, he recognized that because something has been abused doesn't mean the thing in and of itself is not is not good. Because someone died of, of, of painkiller overdose doesn't mean we're going to ban painkillers in our country or in our society. Because in and of itself, the very thing is helpful. The abuse of a thing is never really a good enough excuse to, to avoiding that thing altogether. Because as we go through life, what we see is that the devil through the hearts of men 
or cooperating rather with the hearts of men has abused many many good things many many good things we spent some time talking about marriage and sexual intimacy in marriage and how the abuse of that has caused a lot of issues in our society today it doesn't change the fact that marriage was still god's idea or that sex was god's idea in the first place it's just been abused in many societies today the same thing we can look at we looked at church leadership and a lot of people today are victims of church hurt. Oh, I was in a church and this, this, this happened. Or this pastor took advantage of me. Or this, and I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a church anymore. I'll just have believing friends, but I don't really, I don't want to submit to any more authority. Why? Because I've been abused. That's not the right mindset. And while yes, it would hurt, but be able to bring yourself to a point where you realize that in and of itself, that was simply an abuse. God's plan is still for an organized body guided by wise and faithful believers or elders. Not old people, by the way. Mature people. There's a difference. <laughs> but that is still God's idea. That is still God's idea. You can say, oh, this is this. I don't go to church anymore. I just read my Bible. I just pray. I just have an amazing time with the Lord. No. God's idea is still that you fellowship with brethren. And the truth is, while there may be abuse, it's only a pointer to the fact that the real thing is there. And if you can just find God's desire and the real thing, you would enjoy it a lot more. The same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. Many people today are hesitant. Many people today are nervous. Oh, I, I, I've heard of how this charismatic society or this group of people have abused things. I've heard how people are spraying money just because a, a prophecy was given. I've heard how people are lying or staging healings. I've heard how this and this and this and this is happening. It doesn't take away the fact that the gifts of the Spirit are still gifts. They are still good gifts. And they are gifts given to the body for the edification of all. And so if your response to abuse is avoidance, I want to challenge you today to reconsider your position. To reconsider your position. Amen. Amen, amen. So I'm going to, that's, that's, uh, I think that's by way of introduction. Thumbs up if we are still together. Let me quickly drink water. <laughs> Awesome. 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 I'm glad to hear that. Hi, goodness. Hi, fair. Good to see you. Hi, Yanu. All right. So let's turn out. Let's open our Bibles. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. What I'm going to do, uh, we've done it a couple times on passages that I want us to at least get a broad picture and then we go into the verses. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 25. Long read, I know, but it's very important because this is where we're going to really focus on today. I'll read and then we start. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret for if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful what is the conclusion then i would pray with the spirit and i will pray with the understanding i will sing with the spirit and i will also sing with the understanding otherwise if you bless with the spirit how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words in my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the Lord is written, with men of other thong, tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an, informed, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Amen. Or as some communities will say, may God bless the reading of his word. <laughs> all right. So I read all that just so that we have an idea of what we're about to start to get into. And I think there's just something I love hearing the word of God being read. And you can already just get a gist of what Paul is saying. You don't really even need a verse by verse exegesis to to get an eye to to grab the basic picture what is paul simply saying number one if the guideline is love and edification then everything we desire to do in the body 
must be things that will edify everyone present. And all he's simply saying is that because tongues lack, because tongues cannot be understood by the hearers, then it's not edifying to the hearers. Therefore, in a local assembly, or when I'm gathered around believers, I would place gifts that will edify above gifts, gifts that will edify the listeners above gifts that wouldn't. And so with that kind of ranking, with the ranking of love and edification in a gathering of believers, prophecy trumps tongues unless there is interpretation. That is literally the summary of what we've read. That is literally, I can say, oh, everybody go back to sleep. Thank you for coming today. We have gone through 1 Corinthians 14, but I would not do that. Um, and I was about to say something, it skipped my mind. Um, yeah, so that is it. And what makes this chapter very, very interesting is because usually when we try to, to study and grow in the truth of God's word, um, there's there's something that we've called um men, how many times was it referred to if you remember one of the first teachings we started with in journey through the epistles i said one of the things we should learn when we study the epistles is not just what the apostles taught but to what emphasis the same way they'll say oh if you are if you want to have a balanced diet eat 40 percent this 20% this, 5% this. A balanced diet is not that you are eating everything in the right amount, sorry, in the same amount. It's that you're eating it in the right amount. And so, if someone is eating 20% of everything, so 20% protein, carbs, fat and oil, vitamins, minerals, and water, you do 20% of each, you are not actually healthy. Yes, you are getting everything you need for your growth, but because some are too little and some are too much, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect you. That's why when we're growing up, some of us, we had kwashioko. <laughs> let me, okay, let me personalize it. Some, some of my people, including, you have big stomach, big head, you are slim, because you're only eating rice. And you're not eating meat. You're not eating eggs. You're not eating beans. Nothing. <laughs> you just want rice. And so you are slim. I have big tummy and big head. <laughs> but it's not, it's, it's a mild form of kwashioko. But anyways, um, say rice is big. But you get the point. For something to be balanced, it must be in the adequate amount. And that's what happens when we read the epistles. We start to gauge how important is this topic to my spiritual growth compared to this topic. And so it comes without saying that the, the epistles clearly spend more time on salvation, on teachings on salvation. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Who are you because of what he has done? than they spend on things like, oh, um, God, um, on, on like maybe God's ability to provide for our natural needs. And while that is important, and if you lack it, again, remember, you're not balanced. But we should remember the emphasis. Paul would never, if Paul was to teach a group of people for 10 days, he would not spend... Well, unless there was a need. And I, I, that's another thing I would get to. But if it was just, oh, discipling people from the scratch, he would not spend the same time he spends building faith for God to meet your financial needs. On the same time he will spend teaching what Jesus did on the cross. It's not possible. Because Paul understood emphasis. 
And I want, and it's part of what makes a discerning believer. It's not enough to say, oh, we teach everything in our church. To what extent are you able to, in your heart, discern spiritual relevance when it comes to the things of the Spirit? Amen. How did I get here? I can't remember. But that's, that's very important. That's very important. I can't remember how I actually got here. Going back to 1 Corinthians 14. <laughs> um, interesting. I do not know how it's tangent. I, I, I went on this tangent. But um, I hope it shall bless someone or it was necessary for someone. But going back to 1 Corinthians 14, like I said, if your mindset is edification, you will know that it makes more sense to give words in understanding than to give in the spirits. So what we're going to do now is that we're going to go through these verses and we're going to start to see. And as we do so, we're going to talk on some of the questions that I've, I've raised in the in the early chapter. So get your Bibles, write materials if you haven't already. I don't know, we're already 30 minutes in. I don't know why you don't have your Bibles. But let's start. So verse one, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So the first thing, just going off 1 Corinthians 13 is what? Pursue love or follow after it. It's literally to pursue. There's, it, it means in the Greek what it means in English. Go after it hard that everything in my life must be marked and motivated by love, including my desire for spiritual gifts. My desire must be regulated by love. And it says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Like that two prong, that, those are the guidelines. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. And so if I'm doing both, what would start to happen is wherever I find myself, if there is a need that God wants to meet because of my love for that person and because my desire has already been found into, found into flames, that whatever the gift is, I am eager and I am ready to be used by God to show that manifestation, it becomes a huge part of my life. But remember, Paul is now talking to a community. So think about a group of believers that sincerely love one another. No one is trying to show off. No one is trying to put themselves first. Everyone is submitting to one another and trying to bless the other person. And they are all red hot in their desires for the gift. Imagine that kind of spiritual atmosphere. Imagine that kind of, some of us have experienced that in meetings already. I've experienced that in countless meetings as well. Imagine if that was a church lifestyle, that every time we gather, we are motivated by love and we are hungry for the gifts of the Spirit. Our, our, our meetings will become way more powerful, way more impactful, where even unbelievers will be like, there is something here. You read about the revivalists. You read about how Christianity grabbed America by chokehold. And it's because of things like this. It's because of communities of believers regulated by love and a sincere desire for a move of God in their time. We can do the same today. We can do the same today. Let that be your desire that I want to be surrounded and I want to build communities of believers around me that will be motivated by sincere love for one another and a red hot desire for the things of the Spirit. It will transform your Christian work. Transform it radically. But anyways, 
Let's go back. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, if I read just like, what does Paul mean? He literally just said that seek the greater gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. So why is he saying prophecy? Is all of a sudden is prophecy the most important gift? We've read on. Thank God we've read till verse 25. We understand why he's emphasizing prophecy. Which leads me to what I was saying again about balance. Sometimes what is balance for a, a group of people is to emphasize what is lacking. And so if Paul is going to the Ephesian church for a week, what he might teach in that week might be different from if he was coming to, to Lagos or to New York to teach the believers there for a week. Why? Because for instance, if you have a vitamin D deficiency, there will be a larger intake of that to make up for that deficiency, right? And so if in the church in Corinth, there were a group of believers who, yes, they loved the things of the spirit and they saw it in their gatherings, but they were lacking in love. And because of that, and because of their background as well, if you read in, the, in, in ancient Corinth, many pagan religions had things where they just babble on. I mean, religions today have chanting and saying things that might not necessarily be intelligible words, but to stay the mind on things. And so it wasn't a, it wasn't a peculiar, it wasn't that in First Corinthians or as Christianity grew, people speaking in things that other people could not understand just started. That was not the first time. That was not the first time. Many pagan religions also had things like that. And so, for instance, you come from such a, a, a religion, you come into the body of Christ, and you find out that, wow, it's a gift of the Spirit as well. And you just start to do that a lot more as an in incantation. <laughs> but I think incantation is, well, I don't know. I think they said you can translate it, Abby. So I'm going to... I can't. I don't know any incantation off the top of my head. I only know things. But... Uh, <laughs> um, there was that tendency, just like in other pagan traditions, to exalt the gift of tongues. And it's a sense in which it, why is it exalted? Because it makes the speaker look good. No one might be blessed, but everyone's like, wow, this man speaks. You know, you hear some people's tongues and you're like, wow, what a tongue. <laughs> What a tongue, right? That kind of vibe. And Paul is writing this chapter to destroy that mindset. I mean, he has written 13 already to do that. But the reason he's going to emphasize and seemingly do a teaching on prophecy versus tongues is because the Corinthian church needed to hear that. They needed to hear that. They had fallen out of love and people were not really going into meetings thinking about how they could bless others. What does God want to do? Rather, it's all about, oh, um, let me show myself in this meeting. Let's just start to just, let's, I don't really care what, no, I'll just start babbling on in tongues. And Paul is like, yes, that's all good. Like the gift in itself is good. But you are missing out on so much more. Why? Because you are missing out on edification. Why? Because you lack love. So that's why it says, especially that you may profess. And as we're going to see, a community that loves one another will place a premium value on the gift of prophecy in their gatherings. We're going to see why. Let's go on. Verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries 
I want you to pay attention to this because I'm slowly going to start to answer the first question, which is that what exactly is the gift of tongues? Is it unintelligible speech or is it speaking in another language? We're going to start to look at that. But first of all, just begin to highlight some of these things. The person who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. Why doesn't he speak to men? Because no one understands him. Specifically, no one in that gathering understands what is being said. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. If you remember what a mystery, if you've been with us long enough, you know what the word mystery is. It's not something that's hard to understand. It's simply the word mysterion, something that is covered, something that is hidden or silent that needs to be said, explained, or revealed. So it's not about the difficulty of that thing as much as it is the accessibility to that information. All right. So if you say someone is mysterious, it doesn't necessarily mean it's weird. It just means that there's a lot about him that we don't understand. <laughs> oh my goodness. But anyways... It says in the spirit, you are speaking mysteries, things that need to, which is where interpretation comes in. But we'll get there. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now I've explained to you already that prophecy is not just predicting the future. Remember, um, John, Jesus and the woman at the well, right? He came unto her and he says, um, your husband. And he says, I don't have a husband. He says, you are right. You've had five. And the one you are with, it's not even your husband. He's your side chick. And what did the woman say? He says, I perceive you are a prophet. Think about that. It's something we don't oftentimes think about. Jesus gave her what in many circles we call a word of knowledge. Even if you don't, you don't agree that that's what that semantic means. At least he, he told her something that was not otherwise known unless revealed by the Spirit. And immediately she said, I perceive you are a prophet. The same thing all through the Old Testament. The prophets of old, in addition to oftentimes saying what God wanted to do or what God was doing or calling out wrongdoing or saying what God was going to do in the future, they functioned with strong revelatory gifts. Where you say, Elijah, whatever you are saying, even in your bedroom, Elijah can hear you now. <laughs> or say, you tell Gehazi, ah, you said, did I not go with you as you went to collect that money? Think, that's inc- I find that very incredible. I went, I was, just, I was seeing you. I was in my room, but I was seeing everything you were doing. Right? And that is included in what it means to be a prophet. Think about that. But even more than that, even more than that, when Saul, for instance, was coming down the mountain and he met the prophets and they all started to prophesy, do you, necess- do you think they were making predictions about the future? Do you think that's what they were doing? No, it says they were worshipping and blessing God. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. Right? And... The reason why we sometimes make that mistake is because we fail to realize that the word to prophesy, it simply means to speak under inspiration. Any inspired speech can fit into that box or that bracket we call prophecy. While yes, you can narrow down the scope to 
making predictions about the future. But don't think that is all it means to prophesy. Why do we know that for sure? Read verse 3 again. A person who prophesies, number one, his words edify, meaning it builds the listener up. His words exhort, meaning it encourages the listener to act. His words comfort, meaning is there a, a hurt? Is there an uncertainty? Is there some form of negative emotion? His words bring, or her words, bring comfort. All of a sudden, it's very clear that this is not just about saying what the future is. It's not just about telling you two years' time. Thus saith the Lord, Daniel will do this, this, this. That is amazing. And that is prophecy. But that is not all that word prophetio refers to. And so if you're in a gathering of believers, so you're starting to see why Paul is really going to hype up on hype this gift up. Because what he's literally saying is that anything that is said, inspired by the Spirit, that can build up the listeners, encourage the listeners to act on what has been said, comfort the listeners, is prophecy. Is prophecy. And so if we gather as many times as we should, this is the gift we're going to want to see a lot of. Because there might be times we gather, no one there might need a physical healing. There might be times we gather there and there might not be any strong natural need. But there's no time we gather that people will not need to be built up. That people will not need to be encouraged to act on God's word. That people will not need to be comforted by the, by the words of, by, 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 by the inspiration of scripture. And so it starts to make sense that at the very minimum, whenever we gather, we must expect inspired speech inspired speech i hope that's making sense thumbs up if that's making sense if you have questions just keep it or you can put it in the chat but remind me when we we take questions so that's what prophecy is the person who prophesies speaks edification you say something like wow thank you so much for sharing that that really blessed me or you say something and it's like wow thank you for sharing this i am tomorrow it says God said something about trusting. Let's just want to say something about encouraging people to trust God. And you've been struggling with that very thing. That is prophecy. That is prophecy. And like, wow, thank you for sharing this. All of a sudden, I've been reminded to trust God. Or you're going through a hard time and someone reminds you that God is present even in the darkest times of your life. And I'm like, wow, thank you for sharing this. It really blessed me. That's comfort. That's prophecy. That's what it means to prophesy. It means to speak by inspiration. And every believer can and should desire that whenever I'm gathered around fellow believers, God use me to exhort, to edify, or to comfort someone here. It should be a desire. Amen. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but he who prophesies edifies the church so now he's starting to make that distinction that if you are speaking in a tongue and we're still going to get to what that is more and more or we're going to get to more of what that is but he makes it clear that when you speak in a tongue the mere fact that you are aware of the fact that as i am doing this now 
the spirit of God is inspiring all that I'm uttering and I am speaking mysteries in the spirit. You are built up. Just doing that in faith. Even if you don't understand what is being said, the mere fact that you are aware of the fact that right now I am saying things that I don't understand but is inspired by the Spirit. Remember, prophecy is also inspired by the Spirit. Tongues is also inspired by the Spirit. But the mere fact that I'm doing that, we'll get to the understanding part. But that alone, just that consciousness that right now, God is, or the Spirit of God is inspiring all that is being uttered is edification enough not to mention the fact that whatever is being prayed is being prayed and so there will be answers and things are actually changing but that mere fact alone that god or i'm speaking by the spirit of god is edification enough for the person and that's the caveats it only blesses the speaker <laughs> it only blesses the speaker and so i can wake up in the morning and spend an hour in tongues and i leave them but if there was anybody else in there, I'm the only, unless, at least, unless there was interpretation, I'm the only one that was blessed. But if we gather and we start to prophesy, everybody that hears leaves blessed. And the simple logic of what we've been talking about is if we're five and I truly love the four of the people there, which one will I place priority on? What will bless only me? Or what to bless everyone of course it goes without saying what to bless everyone that's all paul is saying so let's go on verse five i wish you all spoke with tongues and this is why i love the apostle paul because like i said at the start he has gone on to say that yes in a gathering prophecy is more beneficial and because of that it is should be desired more than just addressing people in tongues in a gathering but he says, nevertheless, and this goes to desire, because something is more does not mean that oh, I, I don't, I don't need tongues. It's only me is blessing after all. I don't need tongues. No, he says, I wish you all could speak with tongues. I wish you all spoke with tongues. I wish you all spoke with tongues. That is his desire, meaning, and we're still going to get to the whole for all should all, because what that means is that if Paul desires that every member of the Corinthian church spoke with tongues. That means every member of the Corinthian church can desire to speak with tongues. And so that already shows that before you start saying, ah, but is it for all, uh, should every believer speak in tongues? I will get to that. But Paul already makes it clear that even before we start to, okay, not everybody in your church can speak with tongues. It, there is nothing wrong in everybody in a church desiring to speak with tongues. It's very clear. There's nothing wrong. But he says, even more, even more, I wish you all prophesied. Just to show how, how, how receptive we should be to the things of the Spirit. Where everyone wants to speak with tongues, but everyone, especially when we are gathered together, wants to prophesy. And he explains why. He says, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Greater is in a context. We've already explained. He's not saying that objectively speaking, prophecy is greater than tongues. We've talked about that in 1 Corinthians 12. There's not necessarily any gift greater or better than another. What makes a gift the best gift? It is what is needed at the moment. If someone is sick and needs a healing, the best gift 
his healing at that point in time. I hope that makes sense. If someone is going through something, the best gift is a word of exhortation, a word of comfort, a word of edification, right? If someone is trusting or sorry, doubting God's involvement in the affairs, a word of knowledge can quickly change that point of view for God to single you out in a crowd and tell you specifically what is going on and speak to the issue. I hope that makes sense. So when he says someone who prophesies is written, it doesn't mean by, by objective metrics, just because you prophesy and I can't, which, or I don't rather, I don't want to use the word can't, I don't, doesn't necessarily mean that prophecy in itself is a greater gift than tongue. It simply means that in the context of edification, prophecy always beats tongues without interpretation. That's why it says, Prophet, the man who prophesies or he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification the simple it's very clear on the standard of edification tongues will always sorry prophecy will always be more beneficial than tongues that doesn't have an interpretation now let's go on but now brethren if i come to you speaking with tongues what shall i profit you unless i speak to you that by revelation by knowledge by prophecy it's the same thing right if I just come and start to mutter tongues, whether, and I'm still going to get there, whether you fall into the camp of it must be a human language, but no one understands it. Whether you fall into the camp that it doesn't have to be a human language. The point is, the, the person listening to my tongue does not understand what I am saying, right? It doesn't profit the listener unless they interpret, unless someone interprets all of that. Very clear. And then he goes on, I'm just going to run through these verses because it doesn't really change. Nothing much changes. It says, even things without life, harps, flutes, when they make a sound, unless there's a distinction in sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? And it's simply saying that even instruments, we can say, um, uh, what now? We can play certain notes and all of a sudden, you know what is being played. Imagine if all music was one note. And so the keyboard comes. The drummer. The, the violin. That is not music. Nothing. You're just playing one note. But the moment we start to make distinctions in the sound, people can start to understand. For some, for many people here, once you hear... You already know. Oh! I should stand. We are singing the Nigerian national anthem. Oh, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you understand what is being played. So even non-living objects, they make distinctions to communicate meaning. That's what he's saying. That every that all they are trying to do is to simply convey a message. The same thing with a trumpet. It says. I remember when we we're serving um, national youth service, and we hear that bugle. I can't even remember tune but once you hear that sound you either know oh it's time to put the flag down it's time to wake up all those kind of weird sounds and i think in a core military setting there are more distinctions to let you know what is happening now even animals you look at meerkats they have sounds to say oh there's a hawk coming oh there's a wolf coming oh there's food bees even though they don't speak they have dances to let people to let the colony know okay there's food here this is where it is this is how far it is. This is how sweet it is. Stuff like that, right? Communication is both ways. And if you cannot convey a message, you've wasted your time. That's what Paul is saying. If the person that you are trying to communicate with doesn't understand what you are saying, then there is no point to even making communication in the first place. So that's why he says, 
if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Because no one knows what the trumpeter is trying to communicate. And in verse 9, it says, So likewise you, unless you utter by your tongue words easy to understand, how will we know what is being said? Because you are literally speaking to the air. <laughs> yes, you are speaking to God. But as far as the local context, is, the local gathering is concerned, you're speaking to the air. So it's the same thing. It says, verse 10, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them without significance. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I'm a foreigner to him who speaks, and the person will be a foreigner to me. Again, just letting... It's sad. I, I think beyond just the explanation of these verses, there's not even much to say because it's very clear what Paul is trying to say. But I want you to think about how sad it is that Paul has to hammer this home. Think about it. Verse after verse is literally saying the same thing that it makes no sense to address another person in tongues if they do not understand. That is obvious. But think about how a local community can become so prideful or so out of touch with love that they need to be reminded of something this simple. Something this basic that if we gather and all that happened was people were speaking in tongues to one another, no one is blessed. Think about how, how sad that community must, has, must have, have been for Paul to just keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's obvious. And I'm, there's no surprise. I mean, we look at the issues they've been having since the beginning. And for Paul and for Apollos, everyone trying to gain status by who they fought, which spiritual leader they follow. We see the same thing at the Lord's Supper. People are bringing food and they are eating and they are getting drunk. And people are starving right there in the same gathering. So you already know that these people, yes, they might love the Lord, but there are many issues, many issues <laughs> with them. Amen. And I, I want I want the I want you to think about what that means in terms of application. While for you, it may not be that you Babylon in tongues when you are in your in your local assembly and no one is understanding, but they're like, ah, I shall know this guy can pray or this girl can pray. But I want you to think about the application of this. Are there things you've done? Are there priorities or decisions you've made and you did not prioritize love? Are there things you have maybe in your local church or in your service to God or in your personal life that you've done that you clearly chose what will benefit you or edify you over what will edify all? So for you, it might not be that as a Corinthian church member, you are on and on about tongues and you have no regard for mutual edification. But there might be something else. I don't know what it might look like. I don't know in what capacity it may be. But check your heart. Are there things you've done, things you've said, things you are currently doing, decisions you've made, and love was not the underlying motivation. Rather, it was self. It was, oh, this would really help me. But you did not care if it would help you at the cost of helping others. Amen. That's something we can at least learn from, from this. But let's go on. Verse 12, we're going to start to go into the more tricky parts now. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, again, at no point did he condemn their zeal. At no point did he say, you guys are too, 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 too eager, but calm down. Nope. He simply said, let love 
guide your zeal. So since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So don't throw away your zeal. Rather, add a motivation to it, which is what? What will bless the church? I want to excel. So he's simply saying, yes, you are zealous, but be zealous in the sense in which whatever will best bless my local assembly, that is what I want to, to do. Whatever need will be best met by God through me is what I want to excel at. That is the mindset. That is the mindset. It is therefore, meaning, what does therefore mean? Because of what I've just said. Because I've explained that all zeal must be guided by a desire to edify the church. Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret now he starts to bring it together that i'm not banning tongues i'm not even saying they are bad but in the context of mutual edification pray that you will interpret if at all you have feeling need to utter tongues to your local assembly it says for if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays so that's why i said it's a defined because there's that consciousness that your spirit man is praying and it's powerful i think it's very unfortunate that someone would teach first corinthians 14 and in doing so you leave that teaching thinking less of tongues that's sad tongues are beautiful they are also a gift even for personal edification it says your spirit is praying your spirit is praying so there are days you might come before God and you're like, I, I just want to spend time praying. And you're not really sure what else to pray. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Your spirit is praying. Your spirit is praying. This but your understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I love that. And I will also sing with the understanding. The first thing that sticks out to me in this verse, who can guess? There, there's a certain phrase that sticks out in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15 that says a lot about our fluent things of the Spirit. You can put it in the chat. I'm very curious. Who can guess? <laughs> who can guess? No guesses. <laughs> First Corinthians 14, 15. What phrase or what part of this verse is very important? <laughs> any tries, any tries. Any tries. Okay. Spoken, singing. Okay. Okay. It is the phrase, thank you all for, for trying. It is the phrase, I will. <laughs> I will. I will. He says it four times. Very simple words. I will. But what does it show? What does it show? It shows that to a large extent, your ability to do this is within your control. 
is within your control. Paul is going to say the exact same thing in the later verses here. Verse 32, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And so as a believer, you can say, I will pray with the spirit. I will pray my understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with my understanding. And so you can choose it's again, it's part of the the, the, the the teaching on desire. And I talked about it, that where does, how do we balance distributing to each one as he wills and desire the best gifts? And I said it many times over, that to a man or a woman or a person whose motives align with that of God, their desires will be the desires of God. And so if your motives are right, your desires will align with sovereignty. You don't have to be worried that, oh, what if I desire? No, if your motives are right, your desires would align with sovereignty. And that's why Paul can say, I will pray in the spirit and I would also pray in my understanding. I will sing in the spirit and I would also sing with the understanding. Of course, a lot of other things here are very important, but that's just something personal that I love. I love that, that choice of words, I will, I will, I will do this. But like he says, that shows that even in your own personal devotion, you can, you can pray in tongues and also pray in your understanding. You can sing in tongues. You can also sing with your understanding. Right? In a local assembly, you can pray in your understanding and you can sing in your understanding. Like we said at the start, God is not a rapist or an abuser of men. <laughs> God will not force you against your will. So no one should give me that silly excuse of us. I just, I just had to pastor. No, you didn't have to. You chose to. You said, I will disturb this service by my unruliness in the things of the Spirit. Are there times that you can get so overwhelmed to speak in a tongue? Yes. But let there be interpretation. Even, not by, even if it's not from you, from and i'll get to the practicality we're going to get to that actually i don't want to get ahead of myself um yes i remember how i got to the teaching of balance thank you holy spirit i was about to say that one of the most uh, one thing about today's teaching i was talking about the of the law of mentions that one of the way we can we can understand or evaluate spiritual truth is by how often it's been taught i remember now I don't know how I forgot. But yes, there's something we call, oh, the law of first mention. What is that? It simply means that the first time a theological concept or a word is used in the Bible is very important because many times it sets the precedence for how that word or that theological concept is to be understood for the rest of the, of, of, of the, of the, um, of the Bible, right? So for instance, Abraham giving a tenth to Melchizedek it sets a precedence for a lot of things that ultimately culminates in Hebrews and Jesus being the high priest and all of that as opposed to what we think it would have culminated in. But I've talked about that. But it's so important. So important. The law of first mention. There's another thing called the law of single mention, which simply means if something is just mentioned once, maybe in passing, it would be very hard to build a theological mountain 
on just that reference point. So for instance, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, even though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that's all we have. For you to now take that and start to make it your imagine you say, today we are going to learn what the tongue, tongue of angels is all about. We don't really have much references. That is literally the only point that Paul talks about tongues of angels. We don't know if it was being hyperbolic. We don't know. There are many discussions around that, but for you to make a theological school out of just a single mention, very irresponsible, right? That's a love single mention. Something that was said probably once in passing, right? It was not even the subject matter in the first place. We also have the law of emphatic mention. What does that mean? It's similar to the law of single mention in that probably it's only stated once, but it's stated there emphatically. And so pretty much everything we know about that issue is because of how emphasized it was in a certain portion of scripture. First Corinthians 14 is exactly that. You will not find a teaching on tongues and interpretation anywhere else, which is what makes the subject very tricky. Right, because it's something that was just done in the church, and we don't really have many epistles addressing the very act itself, which is why people have questions even till today. Acts 2, Acts 10 were simply journalistic accounts, they were not teachings on tongues. This is literally the only place where Paul even starts to teach, and even here, he's not teaching on tongues, he's simply helping people understand that prophecy is more beneficial than tongues without interpretation. And so there's not a lot we have to go on, but we can at least pay attention to guidelines. That's the law of emphatic mention. And then there's the law of double mention and whatever. But I just wanted to talk about that. So that, so for instance, in verse 14, he says, I'll pray with spirit, I'll pray my understanding, I'll sing with the spirit, I'll sing my understanding. There's not much elsewhere said about singing in the spirit, but because we know that Paul could sing in the spirit, we know that we can sing in the spirit. It's that simple. He doesn't talk about the how. He doesn't talk about the melody. He doesn't say if it should be accompanied by instruments. Nothing. He just said, I would sing with the Spirit. So for us to start arguing might not be the wisest thing we should do as believers. Yes, we can We can discuss if, it, if the expression of a certain thing violates something else that is clearly taught. But otherwise, we don't have much to go off than what is already revealed in Scripture. Amen. I hope that makes sense. And so he goes on. It says, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, so not only can you pray with the Spirit, can you sing with the Spirit, you can bless with the Spirit. It says, how would he who occupies the place of the uninformed? Uninformed. That word is going to come up very, very soon. It's the word on Leonard in, 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 uh, in KJV. And I, I like what it means. <laughs> in the Greek, is the word idiotis in the Greek. You can guess already what that means in today's English. Idiot. But <laughs> idi- I'm not joking. I-D-I-O-T-E-S. Idiotis in the Greek. And it, it doesn't mean necessarily an idiot. It just means someone... <laughs> Goodness is laughing because we've used... I've used... I've been using that word since school days. We've been using it together in our meetings. But um, it simply means someone who has not been taught, someone who is uninformed, someone who doesn't know what is going on. <laughs> so you don't know what's going on. That is an idiotis. <laughs> and it's not an insult. I just like it because the English word seems to be insult. <laughs> but simply, how would he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? In verse 16, who is the uninformed? Anybody that does not understand the tongue anybody that does not understand the tongue it is how will they say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say for you are giving thanks well 
but the other person is not edified. So in just these few verses, we see that we can pray in tongues. We can sing in tongues. We can thank God or bless God in tongues. Because like I said, what is tongues? It's also inspired speech. It's just unintelligible or ununderstood inspired speech. That's all. It's inspired by God as well. And so just like normal speech, tongues can do many similar things. And so there are times that you're just blessing God in the spirit. You might not understand what is being said, but you are giving thanks well. You are giving thanks well. And that says a lot to your personal devotion. Like Paul, choose to pray in the spirit. Choose to pray in your understanding. Choose to sing in the spirit. Choose to sing in your understanding. Choose to bless God in the spirit. Choose to bless God in your understanding. It says, I thank my God. And that's why I said, I love the balance Paul is bringing here. Nowhere does he shame the gift of tongues. He says, I thank God. I speak with tongues more than all of you. I love Paul. (laughs) He's a man of God. Nothing proud about the statements. He's not trying to show. He's making it clear that me saying all these things is not to get you to stop speaking in tongues, but to help you understand the purposes that the gift of tongues serve. Number one, private edification. Number two, with interpretation, it can bless the audience. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, I speak with tongues more than you all. So the times Paul is spending in prayer, we can already know that this is a man that is praying in the spirit and praying in the understanding. Amen. It says, but in the church, I would rather speak five words in my understanding that I may teach others. So I would rather say, God loves you so much. Five words. Ah, I like that. God loves you so much. I would rather say that and just leave than spend an hour addressing a church in tongues. Why? Because they don't understand if there's no interpretation. And it's common sense. I, like, I, like I said, the fact that Paul has to see this is sad. But let's get the message. It says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes. In your understanding, be mature. It's a clear sign of immaturity that Paul has to teach you. That prophets, don't, don't just come and be speaking in tongues to one another. Speak words that you can understand and actually bless each other. Don't say, ah, this. I don't want to mimic it. But no, 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 no. I'm like, ah, you're a man of God. You two now respond. No, 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 no. I'm like, ah, wow. You don't know what you people are saying. You, none of you know what you're saying. Unless there's interpretation. You're wasting your time. Or rather, you're abusing the gift. Let me not say you're wasting your time. You're abusing the gift. Because it's not serving to edify the listener. How would you come for one eye? Everybody's... It doesn't make any sense. Right? But again, questions. there are questions I've raised that I'm going to start to answer. Um, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues... And of other lips, I will speak to these people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. What is Paul talking about? What is Paul talking about? And I'm looking at the time and what is going to happen is I'm going to teach up till verse 25. And then from next week, now that we've already understood the passage, from next week, we're now going to start to answer the specific questions. 
what exactly is it? Is it French? Is it if I start today, je m'appelle, je vous vais dire, say, wow, what a tongue. Or, como esta? <laughs> like, Daniel, do you know Spanish? I'm like, no. Say, wow, what a tongue. Or if I come and I mutter syllables that no Google Translate cannot recognize, which one is it? How do we approach that in our local assemblies? I would start that next week. Today, I just want to go through verse 1 to 25 and make sure we all understand what is being said and what has not been said. Because a lot of times people have used these passages to downplay the gift of tongues. People have used these passages to, to make many, many bold assumptions that you're like, how did you even come to that conclusion from this same text? And we're going to start that heavily, actually exclusively next week. I'm not going to go to verse 26 until we cover issue after issue on the subject of tongues and interpretation. Um, but it says in the law, it is written. Where is this law that Paul talks about? Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah 38 verse 11. Isaiah 38 verse 11. Oh no, sorry, give me a second. <laughs> um, give me, just give me a second, I think. Now what? Uh, my notes. <laughs> Isaiah 28, verse 11, rather. This is why it's not good to to, to type after video. <laughs> Isaiah 28, verse 11. Let's start from... Hmm. Anyways, for quick context, Isaiah is proclaiming um, judgment on Ephraim and Jerusalem. Verse 1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. He goes on, right? It says, verse 11, With stammering lips and with another tongue, he would speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet, they will not hear. What is going on? If you read the text, and maybe because of time, I would encourage everyone to read this after. This is a proclamation of judgment that Ephraim, Jerusalem has gone away from God. And as a consequence, as a consequence, there will come a time where they will be in bondage and they will hear the Assyrians. They will hear the soldiers around them, they will be in a land where they do not understand what is being said. Woman of God, you are welcome into our midst. <laughs> they, would under, they would not understand, rather, what is being said. That's what Paul is quoting from. Why does he do that? And that's why he says, tongues are a sign not to believers but to unbelievers in the by talk where in the context of verse 21 and verse 22 is it a positive sign or a negative one let's start from there is it a positive sign or a negative one put your answer in the chat <laughs> Positive, interesting. Any other? I, I would, I would argue it's negative. Remember what I just said. 
tongues or Isaiah is literally saying that there will come a time that because of the rebellion of Jerusalem, they will be surrounded by people that they don't understand what is being said. And it would be a sign to them that you have rejected God. Therefore, you are in this foreign land. It's a negative sign. It's actually a sign of distance from God or rebellion against God. That's what he was saying. That when Israel is surrounded by people whose words they do not understand, they can take it that indeed we have messed up. That is why I'm hearing people that are saying things that I don't understand. And Paul is saying because of this verse, or rather in light of this verse, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe but to unbelievers. Meaning that experience of being surrounded by people whose words you don't understand is actually a proclamation of judgment to unbelievers. Why then are you speaking to yourself in tongues in church? That's what he's saying. I hope that's very clear. He says, however, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Is that clear? Or should I go over that again? It's very important we understand what I'm just, what I'm saying now. So that we understand 23 to 25. Isaiah 28 verse 11. Isaiah 28 verse 11. Let me be sure my notes are not uh, embarrassing me again. Isaiah 28 verse 11. Isaiah 28 verse 11. Does that make sense? Do you want me to go over it again? Responses. <laughs> Responses. It's fine. Thumbs up. I should go right. What should I do? I am at your beck and call. <laughs> Which is fine. That's very fine. We're going to go over that from 23 to 25. I just want to be sure we understand what Paul is saying in these verses. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I would speak to these people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. So, what he's saying, quoting Isaiah, is that there was a prophecy that a time would come where the Israelites or the people in Jerusalem and Ephraim and all that will be surrounded with people whose words they don't understand. And it would only be a sign to them that because you have rejected God, that is why you are in this position. I think that's very clear in terms of prophecy because we see the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, all the way down to the Roman Empire. Time and time again, read this, literally wreck these people, especially in that time, the Assyrian Empire, right? They were There was a time they were surprised Sorry, they were surrounded or literally being led and they are being made fun of. Think about that. A country to whom you don't speak their language, you don't understand their language. They come, they kill the men, capture the women and children, and they are leading them back to their city as slaves. And they are making fun of you. They are teasing, they are singing, all of that in languages you don't understand. That is what Paul, I'm sorry, Isaiah was saying. It would be a sign that you have rejected me. And so this is the sign when you see this, that with men of other lips, with people of other tongues, I would speak to you. I would speak to you. Right? I will speak to you. So it's actually a statement of judgment. A statement of judgment. The same thing in Isaiah 33 verse 11. It says you will not see a, a fierce people a people of obscure speech without beyond perception of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. So now this is a prof this is Isaiah 33 is a prayer of restoration. 
I'll get to I'll get to what it means for us today. I'll get to that. In Isaiah, Isaiah 33 is a prayer of restoration, and in verse 33, saying a time is coming where you will no longer be surrounded by people whose tongues, Isaiah 33 verse 19 rather, Isaiah 33 verse 19, you will not be surrounded by people whose words you do not understand. So just from Isaiah, what we're seeing is that in, in God's dealings with Israel, when they were in a foreign nation, it was a sign of judgment. <laughs> That's, ah, you people have messed up so bad, you don't even understand what your captors are saying anymore. That's what he's simply saying. And Paul is reflecting on that and he's saying, therefore, Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Meaning, in light of what I've seen, remember, Paul is not reading 1 Corinthians to, say, to teach on tongues. Paul is reading Isaiah and he's saying, based on what I can see in the Old Testament, that experience of being addressed in languages that you do not understand was a sign of judgment from God to a rebellious people. How then are you Corinthian church proud of the fact that you are speaking to yourselves in tongues and no one is understanding? It shows that you are immature. That's all he's saying. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? For now, like at least just this part. I know there are still questions of how this relates to speaking in tongues today. But at least, does this part make sense? That this is what it meant in the Old Testament. How then are you guys proud of the fact that you're speaking to yourselves in other tongues? It was a sign of judgment in the Old Testament. Right? It says, so it's not a sign for believers. It was it was not a sign for, it was a sign for unbelievers. Like I said, sign in this context means it's a, it's a, it's a testament to the fact that you have strayed away from God's plan for your life not us the israelites because now you say oh but acts 2 the tongues were a sign or acts 10 cornelius's people were praying in tongues we'll get to that i might not get to that this week unfortunately but we'll get to that but at least understand what paul is saying in the texts i promise you we'll get to that and then he says um but prophecy rather is not for unbelievers but for those who believe for those who believe right and we see that even in the Old Testament, right? You'd see Daniel reflecting on the prophecies and say, oh, wow, but God, it's time. Prophecies are for those who already have faith. <laughs> That's what he's trying to say. Does that now mean that an unbeliever cannot benefit from prophecy? Of course not. We're going to read that. Let us take it verse by verse, thought by thought. Let's not put words in the mouth of Paul. All he's simply saying, reflecting on this verse, is that for a believer to be subjected to an environment where he doesn't understand what is being said is not in any way commendable. That's literally all he's saying. That's all he's saying. It's still the same train of thought we've been following, which is that in a gathering, prophecy is more beneficial than tongues. He's just using this verse as an extra addition to his argument. I hope that makes sense. Now let's go on. He now says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and they're coming, those who are uninformed, the, the idiotes returns <laughs> or unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your minds since we are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an, informed, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he would worship God and report that truly 
God is among you. Now, this is a verse or these are verses of scriptures I have not liked for many years because it seems that Paul is contradicting himself in the in literally the next statement. And I'm sure some of you might feel that way even reading it now. If you've not thought too hard about it, maybe you're, you're like, ah, but Daniel, with what you've just said, Paul literally says, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign for believers. But then he just goes on to say, if an unbeliever comes in and speaking in tongues, he will yab you. But if an unbeliever comes in and you're prophesying, he will be convicted. Who then is the sign for really? Right? It's a very valid question. One I've struggled with for a long period of time. <laughs> and the answer, again, is in learning to read it one statement at a time. No assumptions. No, don't yet try to say, okay, how does what Paul said relate to what I do when I speak? No, 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 no. Let's, let's take it. Let's, let's listen to Paul. What he goes on to do in verse 23 to 25, and I'll round up after this, and I'll take any questions on what we've talked about for now today. And then next week, we'll start the practical discussion around tongues and interpretation. Yes, tongues and interpretation. But what he's saying is that I've established the fact that as believers, you are not meant to be speaking in tongues to each other. Right? But then you're to be prophesying. Literally, that's all we've been talking about since verse 1. So he says that tongues, at least from the Old Testament, or rather, now, don't forget, one of the reasons this is confusing is because he is likening foreign speaking to tongues. What the Assyrians were doing were not necessarily speaking in tongues. The emphasis or the comparison is in the fact that the Israelites couldn't understand. Right? Don't, don't get it twisted. He's not saying the Assyrians were speaking in tongues or he's not saying uh, <laughs> that when you are speaking in tongues, you are speaking in Assyrian. Neither of those necessarily apply or necessarily another language. The emphasis was on understanding, which is what we've been talking about, communication and understanding. So what he's saying is that if believers are meant to understand each other when they are gathered, what would happen? Remember, he starts verse 23 by saying, therefore, what would happen? He's still giving reasons why prophecy is better than tongues in a local assembly or when we are speaking, addressing one another. What would happen when an unbeliever comes into both scenarios? That's what he is doing. So let me explain because it's very, I, I want us to make, I want, I want to be sure we get this. He has just given two scenarios and he has, he has said that for unbelievers, like it's, it's not something that should be for believers. Rather, it should be prophecy. So there are two scenarios here where unbelievers, sorry, where believers are speaking to themselves and where, sorry, speaking to themselves in tongues and where believers are speaking to themselves in prophecy. And he is saying that what happens when an unbeliever steps into both scenarios? What happens when an unbeliever steps into both scenarios? In the first scenario, because you are misapplying the purposes and the intents of which tongues were given in the first place, the unbeliever steps into your gathering and leaves there worse off than he came. But in the second scenario, the unbeliever steps into that gathering and even him is or her is blessed 
because y'all are doing things the right way so in no two places is he really talking about which is a sign for who so the point of this and again um the point in verse 25 is not necessarily that the prophecy was designed to the believer or the, to the, or the person falling on his face is designed to the believer or then the tongues is not it no 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 that's not what he's doing he's simply saying that first of all he has made a case that tongues in his rightful context is not speaking in tongues to one another where no one is understanding in his rightful context is not something that a believer should experience number one rather it should be that we understand one another and we can see that this is actually the mind of god revealed in our midst that's what he says in verse 21 and 22. from verse 23 he now starts to apply that to their to their gatherings that if someone comes in if someone comes in and all of you are speaking with tongues to one another the person leaves there saying you are out of your mind that is not a sign to him that's not the point that's not the point because what what you might be tempted to think is that oh it's a negative sign to him therefore he's being pushed even further away from god that cannot be the intention that can be a consequence of of misbehavior where he comes he doesn't understand what is going on and he leaves there saying you people are out of your mind <laughs> He has left that meeting further away from God than he came. However, if he comes into the right to a believers gathering where everyone understands that this is not what we're supposed to do, rather we should be prophesying. Even him being an unbeliever or her is blessed because you are going about things the right way. Again, what Paul is doing is simply making yet another case for why as believers we should look forward to speaking sorry to prophesying as opposed to speaking in tongues now i know that what i've said you might have to listen to it again or it might not be clear i want to take questions on this part just this part for now before we round up let me know if it makes sense let me know what part doesn't yet make sense and i'll go over it again I'm waiting. Or does it make sense? I'll be very surprised. <laughs> Goodness, I'll remove you from the call. <laughs> But I'm glad you understand. All right. Hey, Daniel. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I think I missed the last part mm. of what you said. And it, it was... Um, Because my, I first had a confusion about, I was going to ask you, you know, at the end of the whole thing about that verse 22, about, you know, how speaking in other tongues is intended as a sign uh, for unbelievers. Like, because the thing, that, the first thing that came to my mind is that, especially in this age that we're in, like, if people saw you, you know, speaking in tongues, unbelievers saw you speaking, they'll probably think you're probably drunk or you're insane or something like how is that supposed to be a sign to them you know and and sometimes also i thought about muslims that don't understand these kind of things like how are they supposed to 
get sick where they can just be like ah, all those Christians they just be seeing rubbish you know and just be you know so yeah I'm not sure if you've explained that maybe I missed that but if you haven't please can you just I love that. That's a very good question. That's a very good question. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that now. Any any other question on that? Let me gather all the questions. Any other question? I actually have a question. Sure. Um, with speaking in tongue, I think sometime uh, I got into an argument with my friend and he says that you're supposed to do it. You're not supposed, you think you're supposed to do it with the with the translation yeah they're supposed to get a translation after something like mm. that and it has to be i don't know i think some part of the bible something within that but yeah and i think and he was like i think he was criticizing um pentecostal christians that you know that we do it and we don't get translation after yeah. something like that yeah and we just keep going so yeah good question but like i said come i beg you to be there next week i will that's literally all we're talking about next week um tongues interpretation when is interpretation needed should there always be interpretation what does it mean to speak in tongues but not speak to the church in tongues is there actually a difference can we all gather and i see everybody right now just begins praying tongues is that right uh stuff like that acts two did they speak in tongues if that's the case then how come today's tongues doesn't is literally um not literally, but many times sounds like random syllables that have no meaning in any language whatsoever. Um, stuff like that. We're going to go into all of that. Ask to how come the people heard them in their language? Is that what tongue is meant to be? Um, how do I know that uh, I'm not making things up? All those kind of things. We're going to talk about that at length. In fact, that's all we're going to talk about next week. Today, I just wanted us to understand the context of the passage and then let it lead us into next teaching. Um, but thank you for um, asking that, Cindy. We're going to get to that. Uh, but to your first question, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22. Again, like she rightly said, Paul makes it clear that tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And I... I, I I think the first thing I said is that this statement out of context will be very wrong in many scenarios. Scenario number one, when you say prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe, um, or it's not a sign for unbelievers, but for those who believe, Paul literally just said in verse 24 and 25 that a congregation of prophet, people prophesying, if an unbeliever steps into that congregation, the person can be convicted of sin and glorify God. But then what that means is that is that is Paul contradicting himself or is sign something we don't or are we misunderstanding what he's saying when he says sign? That's the first thing. The second thing is he says it's a sign. Um, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. A sign, again, still the same question. A sign that what? A sign that what? Because if you assume what the sign is, verse 23 to 25 makes absolutely no sense. Because like we've said, an unbeliever benefits even from prophecy. The woman at the well was not a believer at the point where Jesus met with her. Right? People that have been ministered to and spot on 
you're like this and this and this and this and this is what the lord says and they are like he says they fall on their knees and they're like god is truly among you so if that can happen to both believers and unbelievers what then is the sign what then is the sign that's the question when he says tongues are for a sign to unbelievers again i ask where did he get that from it's from isaiah which is that what the the idea of being in a place where it seems as though you do not understand what was going on or rather the israelites being surrounded by people whose language you did not understand was a sign to them of their rejection of god and so this was the consequence i think that's at least we all understand verse 21 now i think that's clear right a believer or rather someone who who was in the will of god or if israel stayed in the will of god or israel were believing a believing nation they would not have been in that scenario rather what would have been their scenario they would have been um they would hear the words of the judges the priests the kings revealing god's mind to them as it has always been the case right that is what would have happened and so paul is simply reflecting on that and saying therefore therefore tongues so again you 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 think about um two cases and i didn't want to go too much into this because i didn't want to talk at length acts to acts 10. in acts 10 they spoke in tongues believers were the ones that were there but because colinia spoke in tongues they were like wow god is truly there they were unbe- they were believers but Cornelius speaking in tongues was a sign to them again like i said it shows that if you take this passage without any context it's very contradictory to a lot of other things the same thing in acts 2 because they were speaking with tongues and in many of the hearers cases they were hearing words in their own language of people magnifying god it was a well for some of them it caught their attention and then when peter went on to speak they got saved of course there were some that said these people are crazy and they are drunk which is literally what paul says would happen in verse 23 so you're starting to see that okay it's either i am assuming what sign means and then that's what is making it hard to understand verse 23 to 25 or i need to be sure let, let me be sure what exactly paul is talking about and like what i said based on verse 21 paul paul is simply saying that a, ideally the experience of not being able to understand supernatural activity is for unbelievers not for believers but rather where believers are gathered everyone there should be able to understand what is going on that's the, like reading from verse 21 to 22 that's what makes logical sense that as believers you should not be in a position as a believer where it's like ah i don't understand <laughs> all right i don't know what's going on that is for an unbeliever to say right that's for an unbeliever to say not for a believer that's all he's trying to say in 22 and he's saying that if you guys come and gather and you are speaking in tongues amongst yourself 
you are putting yourself in a position where you guys don't understand what is happening and even unbelievers will come and look at you and say you guys are out of your mind but if you put yourself in a position where believers should be and everyone understands what is being said and everyone is being blessed even unbelievers will be blessed by your association neither of those two scenarios are designed to the believer or the unbeliever i think that's where it's tripping people off neither of verse 23 and 25 is designed to the unbeliever or designed to the no that's not what he's getting at in those verses he's simply saying if you if you if you if you create christian communities that respect what i've just said in verse 22 even unbelievers will be blessed when they step in if you don't unbelievers will be repelled by your congregation so whichever way if you do it in a wrong way not only you are not being edified unbelievers are being drawn away from god but if you do it the right way not only are you being edified unbelievers also get to share in that what he's saying in verse 22 or rather verse 23 to 25 is a consequence of verse 22 not an explanation of verse 22 i think that's where the uh the mix-up is happening verse 22 is a follow-up of verse 21 verse 23 24 and 25 is a teaching on the consequence of that on the consequence of that i don't know if that helps uh if i don't know if <laughs> can you hear me all right and is it clear to everyone i i really hope it is and I, it's fine if it's not super like i said this even sometimes like i still really think let's say after i've left conference i was go out ah boy why does this sound like weird weird english weird english yes that's exactly what it is like it's it's i think that's why i asked if it was the right way is that whatever we do in our gathering it should be in things that people people um understand like believers can understand i shouldn't come and i'm like ah, i don't even know what they said i don't know <laughs> no it should be done that everyone is edified and if that's the mindset even unbelievers will be blessed i think like goodness rightly said verse 22 leading off verse 21 if verse 21 is negative or has a negative connotation then verse 22 also implies something similar that being in an atmosphere where god is seemingly moving but you are not able to understand is a bad sign <laughs> that's literally what he's saying and so believers should not have to experience that therefore it makes no sense to be speaking in tongues to each other in a public gathering oh yeah i would address that statement you said we shouldn't speak in tongues in a public gathering that raises a lot of questions and i'm going to answer that next week um but i hope that makes sense especially what i just said now thank you goodness for actually putting that there does that make sense okay people said it's clear so that's good next week we're going to look at the implication of that what then is tongues and interpretation how does it function in the church can we all lift up our voices in tongues as many of us probably belong to such christian communities how is it is it a violation is it not a violation what does it mean to to uh like 
is there a distinction in tongues as a prayer all those kind of things we're going to talk about that next week thank you for giving me 15 minutes of your time i appreciate it again if you have any questions reach out to me um next week i'll start from where we stopped and uh hopefully by the time we're done like i said at the very least you have a better foundation to start thinking about the role of tongues and interpretation in public gatherings um and you have an answer for people that would challenge your charismatic beliefs um all right cool so let's pray dear lord thank you for today thank you for this teaching and this what was an introductory teaching um to to tongues and prophecy and edification i thank you for your word and i pray that there is clarity i pray that we are able to be believers who live our lives motivated by love and a desire to bless people around us in jesus name amen 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 uh thank you all for sticking around again i will admit that the last few verses like i said are not the easiest to get through but i, I hope it made sense and if it does if it didn't reach out to me again i don't mind us going over it again um yeah we haven't been through difficult passages in a while so i'm glad we were able to go through this one i think this might be the oh no we still have women should not speak in church <laughs> i thought it is the last one for corinthians the last very difficult passage but um no that's not true um all right then uh let's share the benediction graciously prepared to us by ayambuki <laughs> and then i will um end the meeting let me share my screen interesting i can't share that's weird can we see my screen yes all right so let's unmute ourselves and uh take the benediction one to go I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, by the word, in the word, my spirit rejoices. Hallelujah. Thank you guys for your time. I love you all. I would see you next week. Still on this matter. Um, have a great week. Bye.